Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. And Mike, we are here tonight to talk about your beloved Hokies. We got a special guest on. First question, who is he? Tell us about him. Yeah, I got Justin Cates on, and Justin and I have written together at a number of different places, and now we both write for InsideTheACC.com and FightingGobbler.com. FightingGobbler.com, of course, talking about the Hokies, who we're here talking about on this podcast. How convenient. Uh, Justin, what's going on, buddy? Not too much, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have you on. I think Mike and I have behind the scenes talked about trying to get you on for a while, and it's been a struggle to make schedules meet up, but really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, Mike tells me that you're extremely knowledgeable about Virginia Tech, and from checking out the sweet, sweet work over at FightingGobbler.com, one more, FightingGobbler.com, you guys go check that out. Uh, it, it definitely looks that way, so uh, we're looking forward to previewing Virginia Tech here in 2017 with you, Justin. So I'm going to start out here, and as with many other teams in the ACC, a a big point of contention with the Hokies coming into 2017 is the quarterback situation. Uh, With Gerard Evans having left and gone to the NFL after the 2016 season, it's looking more and more ill-advised by the day. But in any case, that leaves the, the Hokies looking to kind of restock at quarterback we recently got an announcement that uh, redshirt freshman Josh Jackson is going to be taking over that role. What's your What's your reaction to Josh Jackson being named the starter? Was that the right pick, and do you like what he brings to the offense? Yeah, and I think that this was probably what most people expected all along, was that Josh Jackson would ultimately win the job. Um, he's got that redshirt year under his belt, so he's more knowledgeable about the offense than the new guys who've come in. Uh, Hendon Hooker is a very athletic and promising guy, but he's a true freshman uh, who enrolled in January. And then uh, you've got A.J. Bush, who's a junior college transfer, uh, so also a little bit behind the curve, and just uh, it's a lot of ground to make up over a guy who's been in uh, in the system and knows uh, the coaches. And, you know, it's kind of a cliche at this point, but Josh Jackson is a coach's son, and I think that there probably is something to that. Um you know, people kind of laugh about it, but it, it is something I think that's worth mentioning. You know, he's got, uh, and that's one of the things that the coaches have mentioned. He's got, uh, you know, that intuitive uh, understanding of football and and understanding the system, and, and he's picked it up very quickly. Um, I think that as it stands now, the, the depth chart makes a lot of sense with Jackson number one, uh, Bush number two, and then that would allow Hooker to redshirt. Uh, which would make a lot of sense and probably be a good thing to set up the future, um, kind of stagger the classes a little bit, and uh, and you know we'll see how things progress, uh, but that's the way it looks right now. Yeah, so there are so many questions with the offense this year, so I hate to jump ahead, but when talking about the quarterbacks <laughs> in this decision with making Josh Jackson the starter, which I agree, I think this was kind of the expected outcome here, um, and then you have Hendon Hooker and A.J. Bush, 
So they redshirt Hendon Hooker, presumably, barring injury. That would be everybody's best guess at this point. And then they have Quincy Patterson coming in 2018. He's currently a verbal commit. All signs point to him remaining committed to the Hokies. He was a three-star recruit. Then he became a member of Nike's Elite 11, which, you know, anybody covering recruiting knows how big of a deal that is from the quarterback position. Uh, so Patterson is a bit of a late bloomer as far as a prospect is concerned. And is supposedly supposed to be a very good quarterback, but you could have potentially next year a second year of Josh Jackson as a redshirt sophomore, then Hendon Hooker as a redshirt freshman, if this plays out as expected, and then Quincy Patterson coming in. Maybe he heads for a redshirt. Uh, too many cooks in the kitchen? I mean, what do you think the quarterback room looks like in 2018 and maybe even more importantly in 2019? I think that this is an extraordinary problem to have for Virginia Tech fans because it's been so long since there was really any kind of uh, palpable quarterback controversy. You know, there's a time when, you know, Logan Thomas became the quarterback because there was no one else and he could throw a football. Uh, He didn't want to play quarterback when he came to college. He wanted to be a tight end, which is ultimately what he's trying to do now in the NFL. But uh, the Hokies had a couple of misses in recruiting and they had some struggles and that was... Uh, you know, we've seen a number of junior college players come in and senior transfers and guys like that. Michael Brewer started a couple of years uh, for the Hokies, and that was really the first transfer that Tech had ever had at the position. Um, you know, it was it was kind of a desperate situation at quarterback. So I think to even have uh, two guys, let alone maybe three, uh, who are vying for the starting position is is pretty much a luxury at this point. And uh, you're right, Quincy Patterson has really risen up the charts quickly. Um, he's impressed a lot of people and, uh, you know, he's bordering on maybe even a fifth star at this point. He's definitely a four star guy, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, these guys, uh, the funny thing is Jackson's a starter now and still no one really knows what even he's got. Uh, we have an idea from some of the spring ball and, you know, you can look at highlight reels from high school, but that only tells you so much cause everyone looks great in a highlight tape, but, uh, you know, it's it's an exciting prospect, and I'm sure that Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator, are just thrilled because this is exactly what they want to set up, is that kind of competition uh, in the quarterback room. Justin, as you look back at the 2016 campaign, it was a strong year for the Hokies, year one under Justin Fuente. The offense in particular was very effective, I thought. There was a lot of weapons there that now have departed the team uh, for various reasons, either the NFL, graduation, what have you. So there's a lot of a lot of question marks, I think, on where the production is going to come from in 2017 now that they've got to fill gaps from 2016. So as you look at the offense between the quarterback position and some of the skill position players and maybe even the offensive line, what's the biggest thing that you're afraid of in terms of this offense and what they're going to be able to produce or maybe not produce uh, as they do look to produce, uh, uh, replace all of that production? Yeah, and I think it starts and ends at the wide receiver position. Uh, obviously, Isaiah Ford is is gone, and so is Bucky Hodges. Those guys accounted for an incredible amount of offense, and of the 16 receivers on Tech's roster right now, 10 of them are freshmen or redshirt freshmen. There is uh, very little returning. Obviously, there's Cam Phillips, and after that, it's C.J. Carroll, who only had 18 catches last year. And then it's a lot of question marks. Uh, you know, I think Josh Jackson will be fine. Um, and anybody else at quarterback that plays, I think, you know, Justin Fuente has shown no matter who his quarterback is, he's going to find a way to make it work. 
but the question is, who's going to catch the ball? Uh, that's not going to make it easy on whoever it is, especially young starters uh, like Jackson or Hooker. If you know somehow he had managed to get the job, that makes it incredibly difficult. And you know, even at the tight end position, which I think is going to be really critical this year because there's so few wide receivers that have stepped up to this point. Uh, Chris Cunningham last year only had six catches, but four of them were for touchdowns. Uh, A guy like that at least gives you a red zone target that you can feel comfortable with, which is critical. And then uh, the H-back is something that is used a lot in this Fuente system. Uh, That was Sam Rogers last year, another guy who's gone and did pretty much everything. He really was a Swiss Army knife. He caught the ball. He blocked. You know, he ran the football. And uh, he was a critical part of the offense. And at this point, it looks like a true freshman is going to fill in that void. Dalton Keene, a 6'4", 240-pound guy who apparently has picked it up really quickly. And that's an impressive thing in and of itself because that's not an easy position to learn because it has so many responsibilities. Uh, And I think that he's going to be a critical part of this, both, uh, like I said, uh, doing all those things, blocking, running, maybe not running as much for him, but uh, he was a running back primarily in high school. So... Um, a guy like that has to step up, and then there's got to be some more receivers. You know, the Hokies uh, have some guys down the list who, you know, Henry Murphy in particular is one. He's uh, returned some kicks toward the end of the year and was quite productive there. Can that translate to getting the ball on the receiving end, you know? So the offensive line, um, you know, you replace the right side of the offensive line. Um, just a, a bit of a follow-up question. So you got – you have some camaraderie with the line – you know, the right side, I guess, is a little bit of a question mark. Um, from the running back position, it's, you know, anybody's guess. But, you know, they made it work last year with, you know, Sam Rogers essentially being the main ball carrier and then Gerard Evans being the ball carrier. How important do you think it is for this offense to establish a running game this year, more so from the running back position than from the quarterback position with Josh Jackson? Josh Jackson obviously not as big in size and stature. Um, as Gerard Evans is, how important do you think it is for the Hokies to actually establish a running game, not only for this year, but into the future, and especially when you have a young quarterback? Yeah, you know, I think people think of the Justin Fuente offense, and it's all passing, and it's spread the field, and, uh, you know, go all over the place through the air, but he does want to run the football. He's talked about it uh, quite a bit, and he, he wants to establish the run, but to this point, no one's really stepped up and taken hold of the job, which is, you know, unfortunate, but it's... There's a lot of youth there as well. Um, One guy that you really hope could step up is Trayvon McMillan. Um, Last year, he was the leading rusher outside of the quarterback, Gerard Evans. Um, He had 671 yards and seven touchdowns, and two years ago, he had over 1,000 yards. If he can get back to form, that's a guy that you really would hope could be, you know, a difference maker for you. Um, Steven Peoples is another guy who played H-back and, and kind of shifted around. He's moved to tailback. You know, I don't know that he's necessarily the answer. You look at a couple of younger guys that are uh, unproven but enticing. Jalen Holston is one that I think, you know, certainly has good size for a young guy. And Deshaun McLeese, you know, I always kind of get excited when I see a, a small guy and just think, ooh, Darren Sproles, that's exciting. But that's unfair. I, I, I haven't seen him play because he was hurt last year. He didn't get to play very much. Um, but he's another guy that, you know, you hope maybe he could get a chance. Um, but you know, another thing is, uh, while Josh Jackson is probably not uh, going to run up the middle and bruise people, uh, you know, he did run for, I think almost 500 yards a senior year of high school. He, he is mobile enough that if tech wants to run read option or that kind of a thing, they can still do it. Um, it's just going to be a little bit of a different look and, 
you know, last year, another thing was the, the Hokies used wide receivers in running plays, and it's kind of an unconventional look sometimes with Cam Phillips even, who ran for over 100 yards on the season. Uh, I think he actually averaged almost five yards a carry, which was pretty good uh, on reverses and kind of weird option looks and different things. So I think one way or another, Tech is going to find a way to manufacture a run again. But yeah, you hope that one guy steps up or maybe two guys and really kind of take the lead on a rotational basis. Justin, as you look at the rest of the the division here, the ACC Coastal, there's maybe one or two other units that look pretty daunting. I I think the one in Miami comes to mind uh, defensively, and here's what we're talking about. But as you look at Virginia Tech's defense, they were already very effective in 2016, as we've become accustomed to under Bud Foster, looking to bring back almost everybody in 2017, except for a couple of defensive linemen. What do you think of the chances that this isn't the best defense in the ACC Coastal? Um, well, you know, I, I think the first crew, the, the, the front men, everybody uh, along the, the first string, rather, is going to be right up there with the best. The question is depth, and uh, particularly along the defensive line, uh, all of the starters will have played significant time, but a defensive tackle in particular if you get anybody hurt or you need to rotate guys in, pretty quickly you're down to true freshmen. Um, two guys who you know may be called upon uh, pretty quickly are Jabril Glaze and Robert Porcher IV. Uh, both of those guys uh, are going to be asked to play sooner rather than later by necessity. Uh, and you know the Hokies were fortunate to have a guy uh, in Vinny Mahota, who's a tremendous defensive end, has played a little bit on the inside and is capable of doing that. So in a pinch. I think you'll see Charlie Wiles, the defensive line coach, and Bud Foster figure out something that works up front. And, you know, that's that's probably the biggest weakness of, of this defense. But then, you know, you look in the, the secondary as well. Um, Brandon Faison is hurt. He's uh, maybe going to miss the opener. His status is a little unclear at this point. Still recovering from offseason surgery. And, you know, unfortunately, his career has been kind of beset by injuries, but he's a real talent when he's on the field. Um Greg Strowman and Adonis Alexander are, are great corners after that, so there's not a big drop-off there, uh, maybe not even a drop-off. But after that, you've got unproven guys behind that, really young guys, very quickly again. So, yeah, I think you just look across the board and you see depth is an issue and youth is going to be thrust into things very, very quickly. Yeah, so the Fuente-Foster marriage, obviously pretty interesting um, because you, you know, have... Fuente here coming in, new coach. Foster's a holdover from the old staff, and Joey and I were discussing this quite a bit. Um, how long do you think they stay together? Is this a long-term thing? I mean, obviously, Bud Foster being the holdover from you know 25-plus years of Beamer, obviously wasn't a defensive coordinator the whole time, but a, a good portion of that time. He's been on the staff there at Virginia Tech. Uh, do you think Foster's in it for the long haul here with Justin Fuente, or do you think you know, he heads for greener pastures. It's often been talked about, obviously, that, you know, maybe he heads elsewhere, but he seems to really love it in Blacksburg. Um, do you think it remains this way now under Fuente just as much as it was under Frank Beamer? Well, I don't know what their Facebook status is. I don't know if they're Facebook official or not, but they're definitely, <laughs> they definitely have a fantastic relationship. And you can see it on the field even uh, after games. The few times that you've seen it, Bud Foster goes over and just manhandles Fuente afterwards, seemingly thanking him for the offense he so desperately craved all these years uh, to back up his defense. I think they really get along well, and 
I think as long as Bud Foster wants to coach, he's going to do it in Blacksburg. You know, he's had so many chances to leave for so many good programs. A lot of SEC schools, um, some Big Ten schools have come calling, and uh, year after year, he turns them down and says, no, I want to stay here. And, uh, of course, he had the special relationship with Coach Beamer, but he seems to have very quickly developed uh, one with Fuente as well. And, uh, you know, the the story, of course, uh, Foster was put on an airplane and sent to meet with Fuente before he was hired. And, uh, you know, that that went very well very quickly. They hit it off, and uh, it seems to just continue to click. So I think, and again, the results on the field really help. Uh, assuming that things continue as they have so far, uh, I, I don't see any reason why that would be uh, an issue going forward. For for those that have not listened yet, um, we did a we had a discussion a couple weeks ago with Josh Parcell, formerly of ESPN, now of CollegeFootballCountry.com. Uh, Josh just launched that new website, College Football Country, and as a part of it, he launched a podcast. And Josh is, of course, a big Hokies fan. He's a Hokies alumnus, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Mike. Um, You're correct. But he, he as a part of his second episode of that podcast, he had a, a conversation with Justin Fuente in his office and talked about that meeting and that marriage with Bud Foster. And it's an interesting thing that I think that they they do complement each other very well, and I think they recognize that. So that's it seems to be set up for success for the long run. But, again, it just kind of probably depends on how long Bud Foster wants to keep going for. But, Justin, let's look at the schedule here a little bit uh, for Virginia Tech in 2017. The out-of-conference games all lead off the season – uh, a neutral site game renewing the Black Diamond rivalry, I, I believe it is, against West Virginia. Um, home against Delaware at East Carolina, always low-key tricky. Don't look overlook that one. And then home against Old Dominion. Overall, not a very daunting out-of-conference schedule. And then you get, um, man, who am I looking at? You get Clemson in the, uh, the immediate aftermath of that with the divisional crossover games. That adds a certain element of, of difficulty here. But I think overall, this schedule sets up fairly nicely for Virginia Tech. Are there any real dangerous spots that you look at here? Uh, you're right. I think that that schedule does start off fairly well. Um, and, you know, West Virginia, both teams are ranked in the preseason top 25, but I think that means as much as what I ate for dinner last night, frankly. It's, it's really <laughs> not very important. I put zero value in preseason polls, um, as it should be, I think. And you know, the only thing, the caveat I would have about that game is it's at FedEx Field where Virginia Tech is 0-3. I've witnessed two of those games in person, and I'm still very angry about it. Uh, now, going down towards the end of the season, there is a stretch that I think is kind of interesting. The Hokies traveled to Miami and to Georgia Tech in consecutive weeks and then have Pittsburgh at home after that. Um, now, I, I think that Pittsburgh is probably going to maybe take a little bit of a step back, but I think they're going to still be formidable. And, uh, you know, Miami is going to be really good this year. Uh, obviously, they're one of the consensus picks to win the Coastal and uh, contend for the uh, for the ACC title. Um, and I'm pretty high on Georgia Tech. Of course, I imagine, Joey, you are too. But I think that they have a very good chance to be dangerous. And the, the Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech game is always pretty much a, a close contest. There are a few here and there where it, it gets away from one or the other, but generally speaking, it's it's a real tough game for both sides. And so that end-of-the-year stretch is kind of an interesting one, I think. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, that Clemson game, uh, you know, you, you obviously got to worry about the look-ahead factor with a game like East Carolina, which, you know, is another program that tends to give the Hokies fits. Uh, 
Um, and, uh, you know, but Clemson, it was interesting, I thought, during the ACC kickoff, um, the Hokies are still really mad about that ACC title game. And they talked about it a lot. And very frankly, even Coach Fuente said at one point uh, during that title game, he was he knew they were going to win, that the Virginia Tech was going to win. And he was ultimately proven wrong. But he said, you know, I knew we were going to win. And they were very convinced. And they talked about getting them at home and having a payback thing. And, you know, you can want it too much, but uh, I, I just thought it was an interesting thing how much they talked about Clemson in particular, given that it's five weeks into the season. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think uh, West Virginia is an interesting opener. Uh, but, you know, the rivalry factor, um, and it is the Black Diamond Trophy, which has been gathering dust in Blacksburg for more than a decade at this point. Um, none of the guys that are going to play in it really understand what the rivalry is and neither of the coaches have ever coached in this game. So it's basically not going to play into it. I don't think, uh, actually Dana Holgerson at one point in this off season was giving an interview and he seemed to think that West Virginia had the trophy, which, uh, they, they did not. They, uh, so it shows you how invested, you know, they are that, yeah, they're, uh, you know, it's it's a brand new thing, and I think it's just going to be your standard opening game jitters, and it'll be more of a thing for the fans, I think, who get excited about it. So, in my opinion, when looking at the schedule, um, at the West Virginia game, I guess if there's one game you have to pick on this schedule uh, that kind of jumps out at you, that one non-conference game, it's obviously West Virginia. Uh, East Carolina, because they have upset the Hokies relatively recently, uh you know, that's always problematic. And then Old Dominion um, is an interesting up-and-coming team. But I, I think the Hokies go 4-0 and in this stretch. I do think they beat West Virginia. Um, Delaware game. Uh, Delaware, they haven't been real, real good in a while. Uh, but, you know, they're, they are an FCS team. You are expected to win your first true home game of the year. Uh, the East Carolina game, yeah, it's on the road. Um, Hokies handled East Carolina last year in a game that I attended. It really just, it was a blowout. Um, I, I felt pretty, I felt redeemed almost after, you know, what happened to the Hokies in 2015, um, the 2014-15 season, I guess, when, uh, they had upset Ohio State and then came home the following week and laid an egg against East Carolina and lost. Uh, and then the old Dominion game, you know, you feel good about the Hokies' chances there. So, I'm going to say 4-0 in that stretch. Clemson, I think Tech can give Clemson a run because the game is in Blacksburg. Uh, Clemson is the more talented roster top to bottom, but I, I do like the Hokies to be competitive in that game. But I think if there are three to four games on this schedule um, that you need to look at more intently than any of the others, I think it's the West Virginia game, the Clemson game, Georgia Tech, and Miami. I think those are the four. It comes down to a four-game schedule for me just because I'm not really afraid of Boston College, Chestnut Hill, you know, Bunker Hill, I, I don't care where you play Boston College at. I'm not really afraid of them. North Carolina and Duke both take a step back, in my opinion. I like Duke's team, or I, I like Duke's quarterback. I don't like Duke's team, really, at, at all. Um, a lot of a lot of people are high on Duke. Uh, I love Daniel Jones. I think he's the truth. Um, but the Hokies get Duke at home. Hopefully they handle them there. But the Miami and Georgia Tech stretch is, is the one, Justin, like you alluded to there in November at Miami, at Georgia Tech, back-to-back -back weeks. I think, I know I'm on the record as saying the Virginia Tech-Miami game will decide the Coastal Division, but I think the one game that nobody's really talking about that could be the one that actually ends up deciding the Coastal Division is Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech, -Georgia Tech uh, the following week. 
especially because there are so many unknowns with Miami's quarterback position right now. So, you know, those are the two games on the schedule I'm worried about in conference. Um, you know, the Hokies do get the Panthers at home, uh, you know, following the Georgia Tech game. Not really concerned about Pittsburgh. Think they take a step back. And then at UVA, I mean, you can suit up Hendon Hooker if you want, and we'll see what happens. So, I, on the record, I'm going to say... I can't believe I'm saying this because Virginia Tech always loses like one game a year they're supposed to win. Um, that that's just their thing. But I'm going to say the Hokies go ten and two because it is such a favorable schedule, and I do like the Hokies in the opener against West Virginia. Um, but I do think they drop one of the games against Miami or Georgia Tech. Um, to be honest with you. I'm hoping it's the Georgia Tech game, Joey, because I think Georgia Tech will be a little bit worse than Miami, uh, assuming Miami is as good as everybody's expecting him to be. Um, I think the Virginia Tech-Miami game could decide the Coastal, but it's really going to be a three-horse race between the Hokies, the Hurricanes, and the Yellow Jackets. So, uh, you know, I'm going to pick them to lose one of those two games. They're on the road back-to-back, and neither of those games are going to be easy. I'm going to say 10-2. and two. I'm going to stick with that. I, I don't. I, I hate doing this. I hate preseason predictions because I know nothing about this offense. But I'm going to say 10-2, and two, hope they get past West Virginia, and from there just manage your schedule until you get to November and see what happens. Look, just between us boys, I'm pretty sure the motto of the ACC Coastal this year is hashtag anybody but Miami. So if, uh, if, if the Virginia Tech-Georgia Tech game goes in to decide the Coastal Division, I think we're good with that. Um, I look at this, I I don't think that Virginia Tech is going to have the offense figured out and have the firepower to beat Clemson. Um, even at home in late September, I think Clemson's defense is going to be nasty enough, and the offense will be effective enough. That's probably going to be a, a low-scoring, ugly kind of game. I think both defenses are going to kind of dominate that game. And then, Mike, like you said, I, I think that – Maybe the Hokies split the road trips to Miami and Georgia Tech. I don't know which one is the more likely loss. I'm actually really, really curious to see Miami's offense and, and what they're able to develop into against this defense You know, late in the year. So there will be some development under both of their belts. But with a new quarterback, especially if that were earlier in the year, I would actually kind of like Virginia Tech in the upset there because I don't know that Miami would have the easiest time moving the ball, um, again, under new management. So... I'm right there with you. I'm going to go 10-2. and two. I, This is not a very daunting schedule. There's only like three particularly dangerous games on here with the way it's laid out. Uh, I think the, the Hokies are in really good shape here going into uh, year two under Justin Fuente. Um, and, and Justin, I'm sorry, did we get an official prediction from you? Did you say 10-2 and two or 9-3? and three? Uh, well, first off, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you both went 10-2. and two. I am more pessimistic because, like Mike said, Tech always manages to drop something somewhere. Um, so I kind of factored that in already. I was going to go 9-3. and three. I, uh, I I agree that uh, they beat West Virginia and probably dropped that Clemson game. And then I, I'm not – I'm kind of torn. I think they split uh, Miami and Georgia Tech. It, I could see it going either direction. Um, and then, you know, I just – I have a bad feeling about either the Pitt game or maybe Carolina or something like that. I just uh, – the Hokies always managed to do something silly, and you know something that happened last year was the loss against uh, Syracuse, which we won't revisit. But um, that was completely out of nowhere and completely out of left field. And uh, Coach Fuente said this about last year's team, and he said it again about this year: is that they have a very slim margin for error. Um, this team could be great, and if it goes the other way, they could really stumble and you know not look that very, that very well at all. 
So it'll be interesting to see, and especially late in the year, you know, if the defense is beat up and there are injuries at that point, uh, it could go in a completely different direction. But yeah, I'll say uh, nine and three. The only other thing I want to point out here real quick is that, again, Bill Conley's S&P Plus predictions have Virginia Tech as an underdog in the Clemson and Miami games we've mentioned, a straight coin flip at Georgia Tech, and the next lowest probability they have to win, according to S&P Plus, is 63% against Pittsburgh. So they are considerably favored in 9 out of 12 games this year. And I think that speaks to not only where Virginia Tech is as a program at the moment, but also... This schedule is just not its not daunting, and I think it sets up well for them to potentially take the Coastal and, and go back to Charlotte this year. Not back to Charlotte. They weren't in Charlotte last year, but they were in the championship <laughs> game. So we're going back to Charlotte this year. That's what I'm saying. We're all in Charlotte. Yeah, that's going to happen. Everybody's there. Let's go. Let's do it. See you there, Joey. Right? <laughs> well, not if you're there. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, maybe Louisville makes it. Who knows? Justin, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, there's been a lot of really good insights here. Um, please tell the people where they can go find your work and your tweets and all the good stuff that you do. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's been good to finally uh, hook up with you and do this. I look forward to doing it again, assuming that didn't go too poorly. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at bestkates. Uh, you can read us uh, on uh, insidetheacc.com and also fightinggobbler.com and uh, just other parts of the internet. We'll see you out there, I guess. So important to know that that's not, you know, standard Kates or even good Kates. It's best Kates. So at right. best Kates and then fightinggobbler.com. Simultaneously a play on best case, and also I am, in fact, the number one of all the Kateses. So there you go. <laughs> the only Kates. <laughs> Justin, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. It's been a, an absolute pleasure, and uh, please come back soon. You're welcome anytime, man. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, bye. All right, Mike, that's Justin Cates. We've got to get out of here and go work on some more team previews. But uh, until next time, people can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You could also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns. You know, if you're asking for life advice, we do that. If you need like a recipe for dinner tonight, like we can work on that too. Whatever you got, send it all to the longest email address, known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Bad boy. It's not even a challenge anymore. I'm just, I'm on a roll. Um, Mike, they can also find us on iTunes. They can find us on Google Play. They can find us on SoundCloud. And as we've recently figured out, they can also find us on the Overcast app. If you're using that on your iPhone or Android uh, device, you can find us there as well. So please go reach out and find us there. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? They can find us on Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Hell yeah, go do that, and uh, again, rate, and review, subscribe, do all those good things. They're they are helping us, and we're having a lot of fun doing these previews, so we're trying to keep that up. Uh, but Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and do another one again soon? Absolutely, bye. Hell yeah. All right, sounds good. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Justin Cates, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening, and until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.